Well, Merry Christmas, MCC. For all those of you who are joining us online, thank you for taking some time to be able to be with us this Sunday. Hey, I would love uh, for you to be able to be part of spreading some great joy on the internet. It is, sometimes can be a pretty doggone miserable place. So do me a favor, if you're watching this online, just press that share button and, and maybe we can share some joy and allow uh, joy to multiply today as we get ready uh, to kick off this brand new series. Um, if you're wondering, yes, I do dominate at eating contests, and uh, I cannot wait uh, for this week. Some of you, if you're watching online, hopefully you come in uh, this week and, and grab your box. For those of you who are, who are okay with maybe coming in person, you can grab one of those next Sunday, but I cannot wait to, to be able to give those out and put those guys in your hands. Uh, if you're brand new with us, this is your first time coming and connecting at, uh, with us at MCC, I'd love to get a chance to meet you if you're here in person, uh, and I'd love to be able to call you and meet you over phone this coming week. If you're watching us online, you can fill out one of those uh, connect forms there. Just go to the link, fill that out, and we'd love to get to know you um, the best we can in this season. Uh, this season, this Christmas season, is supposed to really be a season that is marked with joy. I mean, that's kind of the, the heartbeat behind this message and behind this series because that really is what the Christmas season is supposed to be about. It's, if you read the Bible, it's, it's what is in so many of these stories. There's joy as this recurring theme. It's in what is in so many of our songs that we sing, our Christmas songs, which, by the way, anybody who's, who's, who's adamantly love, like you, you've been playing Christmas music since Thanksgiving. Raise your hand if you're one of those type of people. Okay, yes, cool. Um, raise your hand if you're more like me and you could do without Christmas music forever. All right? Okay, yes, my people. Great. Um, but joy uh, of these Christmas songs that you either really love or you just kind of can't stand, of these songs, joy is one of the common things. There's joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Joy to the world, all the girls and boys. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. Joy to you and me. Okay, so some of those may not be necessarily Christmas songs, but, but joy is really supposed to be what defines and marks the season but, man, I don't know about you, is that the reality? Like, it, when we look around, and maybe even in 2020, but like, maybe even before then, was this season really joy-filled? A recent survey that was taken by people here in America, it kind of shows a little bit different. It says that 88% of people feel stressed during the holidays. 56% of people bite their lip around family during the holiday. Either bite your lip or get bitten, one or the other. Top three avoided topics with family during the holiday season. Politics, yes, make sure. Uh, religion and personal matters. So when you're around family, you know what you can't talk about? Anything important. <laughs> the top five arguments during the holiday seasons. Where to go, what money we're going to spend, family, cleaning up, and cooking. And the average couple, now again, if you're here with your spouse or you're watching online with a spouse, the average couple gets into seven arguments during the holiday season. Raise your hand if you're already average and it's only the 13th. <laughs> Somebody just got elbowed, no worries. Um, now these next two, they're not necessarily um, causes of stress, but they can be indicators of stress. 85% of people say that they overeat during the holiday season. Mm -hmm. I heard some amens. Like, like it was like I'm proud of it. Um, Forty-two percent of people. Now, this is this one. This one is surprising. Forty-two percent of people admitted that they unbuttoned their pants after a holiday meal. All right, and the other fifty-eight percent of people were women who strategically chose to wear leggings and a dress so they wouldn't have to worry about unbuttoning anything. <laughs> now, 
I think, I think that brought us a little bit of joy there. So we're, we're starting to turn a corner. But man, uh, joy has been something that's been hard to come by in 2020. And, and there may have been some times where it really felt like a pipe dream. And this year in particular has been one that's been marked by wondering and waiting and going, well, when, am, when are things going to go back to normal? And a lot of things that we had that were normal were kind of taken away from us. And, and we're, we're kind of at this place where we're, maybe if, if we're believers and we believe that there is some higher power or something going on, we find ourselves going, God, why is this happening? How are you going to resolve this? How are we going to fix those things? And if we've been in that place and we've been asking those questions, we actually have a lot in common with the young woman who we're going to read about this morning. It's a woman named Mary. And she, like you, went through this season of life where she was confused, where she was questioning, where she was filled with anxiety and wondering, how in the world is this going to turn out for good? She went from, in a moment, great confusion to experiencing great joy. Now, before we dive into how she went from great confusion to great joy, I want to walk you through the reality that there is a difference between joy and happiness. They're two different things. See, happiness, and this is how you can remember this, happiness is really just based off of what's happening. Like when, when your kids unwrap those Christmas presents and they tear through them like Tasmanian devils Christmas morning, when they unwrap those things, you, because of what's happening, you're going to be happy. That when you, in fear and trepidation, tear into the credit card bill in January, that's not going to be a happy moment. See, joy is something deeper. Joy is, is a deeper thing that's going on. And, and one of the times where I actually very recently was able to experience this joy that wasn't contingent on necessarily what was happening very recently was at a funeral. A funeral for someone who was also named Mary. Mary Burgess. She's one of our staff people here at MCC, Joni Parker's mother. Many of you know her. And it was the most joy-filled funeral I've been a part of in a really, really long time. Now, nobody there was happy with what was happening. But I believe everybody there was filled with joy. I mean, goodness gracious, we even did the tomahawk chop. It was a joy-filled moment. It was a celebration. And so what I want to walk you through as we dive into this story is how you can actually go from experiencing confusion, wondering why, God, what's happening right now, and then get to this place where joy is actually what we walk into. Joy is actually what we're experiencing. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to go to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to pick up this story. As you're going there, let me remind you that joy, joy is all throughout the Christmas story. Today we're going to see Mary rejoice. We're going to see Elizabeth rejoice. We're going to see the, the unborn John the Baptist do a backflip as he rejoices inside of the womb of his mother. We're going to see angels rejoicing. We're going to see Joseph rejoice next week. We're going to see shepherds rejoicing the week after that. The Christmas story is marked by joy. The only people who we don't see rejoicing are politicians and the religious hypocrites. And guys, some things never change. But today we're going to dive into this young woman's story. And I hope it can help you. In a season where maybe you feel confusion, in a season where you wish things weren't the way they were, to go from confusion into joy. This is her story. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. 
He will be the great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. And in her old age, she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Let's pray. Jesus, we see you here in the story. It's a different light than we usually see you. It's you stepping out of your throne, you behind the scenes. Father, today I know for whether it's the people watching online or the people in this room, the reality is, Jesus, you have been operating behind the scenes in our lives. God, and I pray today as we dive into your word, you would more and more so come to the forefront, reveal yourself to your people as we sit in front of your word today. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, I want to draw your attention to verse 38, right there, last verse we read. Mary's talking. Angel just lays it all on the table. Very confusing, very terrifying things. And I want you to remember before we dive into this, who is writing this? It's the Gospel of Luke. So who's writing this down? Yes, you guys are intelligent, brilliant Christmas people. Christmas. This story is written by a guy named Luke. Now Luke was a doctor. How did Luke get his facts? How did he get his story? Did he just say, hmm, what would people love to celebrate 2,000 years from now? Well, how can I write a great story for them? No, Luke went to Mary. He went to Jesus' mother. He sat down in her living room, crossed his legs, and drank a cup of tea and said, Mary, tell me about how Jesus got here. And this is the story she told him. This is not just happenstance. This is not just tradition that's been passed down. This is a guy who sought out to go on an investigative, journalistic trip, found the eyewitness, Mary, interviewed her, and this is her story. Now, we read verse 38, and I think our tendency is to decorate up the Christmas story and to make it very nice and and very joyful, but when you see this, I need you to actually maybe hear it different than it is in your head. So in verse 38, when she says, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled, she is not saying that in a moment of triumph. She's She's not going, I am the Lord's servant, may your word be fulfilled in me. That is not where she's at. Remember, she is a teenage girl who is alone in her room, who just gets visited, not just by a regular angel, but by an archangel, shows up on the scene, blows her mind away, tells her that she's going to give birth to a child. She's still a virgin. Like, this is not, sure, sounds great. This is, I'm agreeing with you because I'm terrified of what may happen if I don't agree with you. I'm confused. I'm worried. None of this in this moment is really making sense. I'm scared. She says, okay. Now she goes from that feeling, that emotion that I want you to feel in this. She goes from there. We're going to fast forward. We're going to skip a little bit and we're going to come back to it. She goes and what we see, she goes from that fear, that confusion, that great amount of anxiety. She goes from there to verse 47. Look what it says a few verses down in verse 47. Now, she's not just cradled up in the fetal position on the edge of her bed as the angel gets ready to leave her. She is now singing at the top of her lungs in some different household. In verse 47, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There's that joy. She rejoices. 
And not just a outside, I'm kind of cool with these circumstances now. She says, my soul and my spirit are now rejoicing. Something has happened here. And I want to walk you through what happened in her life because I believe it can happen in yours. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing that we see that brings her to a place of great joy is she finding favor with God. If we want to move from a place of great confusion, great anxiety, great depression, great apathy, or whatever it is that you're feeling right now, to a place of great joy, it comes from finding favor with God. Let me show you where we see this favor first show up. Look at verse 28. Luke 1, 28. It says, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Not just regular favored. She's a highly favored. Highly favored. Now, that word is actually a little bit different than the word oftentimes that gets translated in the Greek as just favor. It's the word cheritoo. I probably butchered that, but bear with me. I'm from Carrollton. Cheritoo. You see what it looks like there in the Greek? I, I wrote it out for you there. It's X-A-R-I. It's, it's, it's where we get our word for charity. That's kind of what it sounds like. That's what it's implying. It is this type of favor. Now, that Greek word only shows up one more time in all of Scripture. Only one more time. It's in the Bible. Two times. I want to show you where it's at. Ephesians 1.5. says, Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus. He says he, and the he he's talking about there is Jesus. Jesus predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he favored. There's that word again, keratoo, us and the beloved. So again, this Greek word shows up in the Bible only two times. And I hope you picked up on the two themes that exist in these two verses in which this highly favoredness shows up. It shows up as Mary is, is being told that you are now highly favored, and because you are highly favored, you're going to give birth to a child. That means this God family, this your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, is going to be initiated by you starting a family. By it being God's son through you. Fast forward through Jesus' life, to the start of the church, Paul's now writing that same church and saying, God, in his divine providence, in his predestined will, has said, because of that son, because of that son that the angel showed up to, to, to my daughter Mary and told her she was going to have, and that fact that she was going to have was the fact that she was highly favored, now you have been made a part of my family. And that family is what makes you highly favored. See, a lot of times we can think being living under God's favor. You go to church and, well, I got the favor of God. That means I get good parking spots and I get you know, promotions when they're up. That's not what God's favor is. See, God's favor, at its bare and root essential, is meaning that you could be a part of the family. And the fact that he showed up in the first time we see this Greek word on display shows up to the lowest of the low, a girl, the last place you would ever expect it, in the ghetto of Nazareth, to a girl who is in her teens, and that's where that comes on display to say, you are highly favored. A lot of times we get this misconception that Mary was just like this perfect Sunday school kid and like she was doing all these things. Like there's nothing in the Bible that necessarily implies that. And most of the time when God shows up and he really wants to put his favor fully on display, he shows up to the people who don't look like they have earned it. So he shows up there. He says, you're a part of my high, great, amazing favorite. And I'm pouring this out on you. And then he fast forwards to people like me and you. He says, you don't deserve to be a part of my family. 
you're in this ghetto called Earth. And your sins and your mistakes, they have separated us. But, but because of my son, and because of him being the favor to Mary, and him giving his life on the cross, now you can be a part of our family. And that's what the favor of God looks like. And see, oftentimes we think of favor as you know, getting good things or being, you know, having nice things that we experience. But what we see here, and I want you to take note of this and understand this, that favor, God's favor, when he gives it to you, when he gives it to me, God's favor is not meant for status. God's favor is meant for service. That's why he gave it to Mary. So that she could be the one through which she would begin to, to serve, to nurse, to care for this boy who would give his life for people like me and you. And that's what she did. Because God's favor is different. God's favor on Mary's life doesn't look like what televangelist tells it will look like. God's favor on Mary's life turned her life completely upside down. All of her dreams, all of her hopes, all of her plans, she's, she's betrothed, which betrothed is a little bit different than being engaged to somebody. If you're betrothed in that day and age to somebody, that means that the only way you could break it off, like nowadays, like if you're engaged to somebody and you decide you don't want to be engaged, it's like, well, we're not engaged anymore. Okay, cool, you post it on Facebook, I will too. And then things go back to normal. But in, in their day and age, if you were betrothed, you had to have a divorce, a legal divorce to be unbetrothed. She's got all these plans, all these purposes, all these future, all these dreams. And the angel shows up and completely flips all of that on its head. Now, in their day and age, it was different than it is now. Now, if a teenager gets pregnant, we either shrug our shoulders or we throw them a party. In their day and age, if a teenager got pregnant out of wedlock, there was trouble. They were going to get stoned. They were going to get in tr- bad things were going to happen. If you had a, a good and maybe gracious husband, things would you know, be, be negative. You'd be in trouble. You'd be ostracized. Be looked at as a town whore. So Mary, these are what in her mind, as angel says, uh, shows up, says you're highly favored. God's going give to a, give a child into your life. These are the things that her mind begins to go to. Okay, well, okay, great, you're here. After the kind of craziness of an angel in my, li- in my bedroom wears off, okay. But if that happens, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And as Mary goes through the list of the things that are going to happen, if what God says, what's going to happen, happens, they don't look pretty. And so from there, we see what happens next. We see that as she has found this favor and this reality that favor doesn't necessarily look like the great things, we get to this place where maybe you come to understand that those things in our life, in your life, that we call interruptions. Like everything in Mary's life was interrupted. But the things that we call interruptions, God most often calls those invitations. He says, you've got a plan. I love you. So I'm, I still love you, even though your plan is, 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 is not necessarily exactly like mine. But I'm going to interrupt your regularly scheduled program, Mary. And I'm going to interrupt your re- regularly scheduled program, whoever you are today or whoever you are watching online. God will do that. And his interruptions is not because he's mad at you, not because he's angry with you. He will interrupt what you think should be happening because he is inviting you, one, to experience something greater, to experience his purpose. Because he's inviting you into something so much. Like you could think and plan out your best version of your life, but if you live according to God's, it will blow that out of the water. The next way that we see great joy come, that we see that great joy comes from servant-hearted surrender. Now, before I show you Mary's surrender and how she went about surrendering to this crazy message that she had just been given, I want to make sure you understand who she is surrendering to. Look at Luke 1.35. Right before this verse, the angel tells her that she's going to give birth, and 
And Mary responds by going, how can this be? Okay, I, like I'm a human. I know I'm a, I know I'm a teenager, but I do know science. Uh, something has to happen for that to happen. I'm a virgin. Angel in wor- verse 135, he explains how. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. How many of you, when you hear that word, all right, you're watching online, and you just hear me say, Son of God, whose name do you think of? Jesus. How cool is that? And this is what Mary is experiencing here. This is what's happening here. I want to draw your attention, though. The angel answered when she said, How? The Holy Spirit will come on you. Now, there's only... Again, I love the, the, the realities and, the, and the, the small kind of hidden things, the story behind the story here. That phrase right there, the Holy Spirit will come on you, that only occurs one other time in the Bible. So two times, that is in the Bible, the same way two times, highly favored is in the Bible. That phrase right there, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, it happens at the birth of Christ, and it happens at the birth of Christ's church. Look at Acts 1.8. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power Again, watch, there's that word, there's that phrase. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The point that I don't want you to miss here is that God begins where what is humanly possible ends. He's got them both right there. He's saying, Mary, you want to know how it's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to overpower you. You is going to overshadow you. You, you are going to be, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, overshadow you, and you're going to do the impossible. And then he shows up. As Jesus is talking, getting ready to go back to heaven, he's talking to his 12 guys, and they're looking around like, Jesus, you can't leave. They're going to kill us if you leave. Bad things are going to happen if you leave. You said that you were going to initiate this kingdom, and this throne was going to go from generation to generation, and all these things were going to happen. We lost you resurrect from the dead, but we can't do that. Like We're just fishermen and tax collectors and, and, and zealots, and, and man, what's going to happen here? And Jesus says, listen, where what is possible with you ends What is possible with me begins. The Holy Spirit will come on you. So that is what Mary is surrendering to. And in your life, that's the call. That's the play. Is how am I going to surrender to how the Holy Spirit is leading me to God's purposes for me? So that's what she was surrendering to. Now I want to show you what she did, how she said it. Look at 138. Verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. And then she goes on to say, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. That's all he needed to hear. Now that word, uh, the Lord's servant, is kind of a weak translation there. She actually uses the word uh, doulos there, which it means, it implies a little more than I am the servant. I am the slave. God, I don't exist to have you serve me. God, I exist to serve you. And that is very counter to how we live. I know how I live a lot of my days here on planet Earth. I want God to do things. I want God to stop things. I want God to provide for things. And, and listen, guys, he, he really does want to. But at the basis of our heart, our mode of operation is not I exist to have God serve me. It's I exist to serve God. And that's what she says. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And I want you to know this, those words, that is heroic humility. I know for some of you fellows in the room or maybe watching online, we know we're getting to a sermon on the Virgin Mary. Your heart kind of checks out and your mind kind of goes with it. And you're like, yeah, I like, 
have a lot easier time relating to, you know, warrior David and hitting giants with slingshots, and that's just easier for me to get my mind around than, you know, pushing something the size of a watermelon out of my body. That's, that's, that's a little bit easier, and so you can kind of check out on Mary because I asked just Mary, but let me show you something. The majority of our Old Testament heroes, the guys that maybe for, for us as males, maybe we find an easier time to relate to, all of, uh, most all of them, some of them, they, they got it okay. But the majority, the recurring theme is not like what Mary did. When they get God's call, when God shows up to them and tells them what his plan for this, them are, it doesn't go pretty. Moses, God shows up and tells Moses what he wants to do. Moses, right off the bat, excuses. God, I, 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 God, I, I can't speak. You, I can't do this. Gideon, he says, I can't fight. You, like, you picked the wrong guy. If you want to beat them, I can't fight. I'm a wimp. He just calls it like it is. Jeremiah, he says, I'm too young. God, I'm too young. They, they, they won't listen to me. Isaiah, he says, I'm too sinful. Jonah, I'm too racist. All these guys, they make all these excuses. They tell God why it can't happen. Mary, in heroic humility, doesn't ask why, but in true woman fashion, she goes, how? How is this going to happen? How? See, most of the time when we ask God why, it's not because we're looking for answers. It's because we're looking for an argument. And She shows up, and she says, how's this going to happen? I, I'm your servant. I, I'll, do, I'll do it. And it shows to me that at the end of the day, guys, for us, and whatever it is that God may be calling you to do, whether it's you know, adopting a kid, whether it's starting a business, whether it's going back to school, whether it's uh, providing Christmas for some other family, wh- whether it's changing jobs, whatever is going on in, in your life right now, you know that thing that God is calling you to be obedient to. If you learn anything from the story of Mary, learn this, that the outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. But he can't take care of his outcome responsibility if you don't take care of your obedience responsibility. And my hope is that you'll take that step. You'll learn that there is great joy in being obedient and letting God take care of the outcome. The third thing we see that great joy comes from is great joy comes from a faith-filled family. Great joy comes from faithful family. Now, some of you, you heard that and you're like, I ain't got one of those. (laughs) Good luck with that. I'm just going to have to skip step three because my family is crazy. Uh, I know some of you are looking forward to blaming Wi-Fi being down to not have to Zoom with those rascals. Like, that's not the family I'm necessarily talking about. Because all of us in this room will admit that there are people who, whether they're part of our church, whether they're part of your, you know, your deep fellowship of friends, that they are a sister in Christ to you more than your biological sister is. They are a brother in Christ to you more than your real brother is. Some of you in this church have people who are spiritual fathers to you for a father who was never there. There are spiritual mothers for a mother who was never there. And so when I talk about a faith-filled family and it being what can actually move us from a place of great confusion, doubt, and frustration with our current reality and actually move us to a place of great joy, I want you to see what happens in between those two verses that I read you. So I read you the, the whole story about the angel showing up to Mary, and then I read you the beginnings of her song. But there is something that happens in the middle, and what happens in the middle is she meets up with a sister. Verse 39 says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea. Now, that, that language there, again, softens that a little bit. 
almost what this means is the angel showed up in Mary's room. Mary put a sleeping bag together and a, and a go bag, and she bolted immediately. She's like, I got to get out of here. This is crazy. And again, she did what most of you women do. When something crazy, you don't call your fiance. You don't call, like you call, you go to one of your sisters. Something, something, something wild happened. I'm going to tell them first. I'm going to talk to my, you know, someone I can trust to give me good advice. And she does that. She leaves. Verse 40. When she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb, that is Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb, that's John the Baptist, leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill this promise in her. Okay. I mean, this, is, this is so fascinating. I never saw this part in this story before, but I love this. This is... This is this is a reminder to me of why we need each other and how dangerous it is to get so caught up in your own life. Remember where Mary was at. A broken, confused teenager who every step of her journey to go to see her cousin Elizabeth who she knew something also impossible was happening. Every step of that journey, a new reason of how and why this was going to be something brutal, painful, and how it was going to be unimaginably terrible popped in her mind. She opens the door to Elizabeth and Zachariah's house. And again, that, that, in that day and age, you didn't have a text message. They didn't know where she was at. She opens the door. She says, Elizabeth and Elizabeth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has this baby inside of her, who is John the Baptist, jump and leap with joy, and then Elizabeth busts out into this song filled by the Holy Spirit, and what she does, if you go back and look at the song, she begins to call out what is actually inside of Mary. And you want to know what really is the thing that turns the corner and takes Mary, from great confusion, fear, and anxiety into great joy, it is when a family member calls out what is inside of her. She had the other two recipes and being under the favor of God and humbly submitting, but once she got around family, people who loved God and feared God like she did, and they began to call those things out in her, something began to change. That's where we see the Magnificat, the, 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 the song that she begins to scream. That's where it starts. And my friends... We will miss the joy that is offered in this holiday season if we spend it comparing what is going on outside of your life and your life and your life and your life and your life to what's going on the outside of my life. Instead, my, my encouragement, my plea to us as children of God bought in with this favor is that we, and I'm going to look specifically here in this moment because look at the dynamics of the story. An older saint, a younger saint. I'm going to look to some of you older saints in this church. Please, I don't know, most of you don't do this. Please, don't look at a younger generation and see everything they do wrong. Please, look at a younger generation and see what God could do in the inside and out on the outside through them. And please, call that out of them. That's where 
all the anxiety and fear. And again, there, there are teenagers in our society, in our country, killing themselves, committing suicide, struggling with depression more than it ever has before. And I believe, I don't think it's a whole part of the solution, but I do believe it's part of the solution. Let us as an older generation begin to call out, to encourage, to be Barnabases in their lives who call out. Here, here's what I, like, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's something I see inside of you, and it may, and again, I've said this before, it may just be you have pants on today, and they're up around your waist. You did it, man. You got pants on. Woo! It may just be that. But we get to call things out of them. And that's where whatever the burden that people are up under, when we begin to call out what we see on the inside, what we believe to be true on the inside of them, we begin to see their spirits come to life. And that's where we see Mary enter into step four. From going from great fear and confusion into great joy. As she magnifies God. Look at verse. I'm going to read you a little bit of what she does in this. Verse 47. She says, my soul magnifies God, and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And again, this is a teenage girl who a few moments ago was terrified, is now not just saying, but singing, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I don't know what her internal dialogue looked like on the road to, to Elizabeth's house, but I don't think it was stuff like that. For the mighty one has done great things for me. She begins to magnify God. I don't know what your mind thinks of when you think about magnify. But I want to give you a little bit of an object lesson. And hopefully explain this to you in a way you can grasp. The word magnify. And when we talk about magnifying God. It really just means to make God seem as he really is. That's what it means to live a life that magnifies God, to make God seem as he really is. To not, by the way we live our lives, distort and confuse people from what type of God he actually is. Because we can live our lives and make people think God is a racist God, God is a judgmental God, God is a God has no grace allowed, his only truth. We can live our lives that make people see that version of God, and that's not who he really is. Instead, we live lives that magnify God, makes it seem as he really is now i want you to know this ever this is not a, a church person thing this is just a human thing you magnify something you're created to magnify you don't you don't get to choose whether or not you're going to magnify something and so in regards to god we're called to magnify god like a telescope magnifies things not like a magnifying glass does. See, a magnifying glass, you take a magnifying glass, and what do you do? You put it under something that's small, and what do you make it look? Bigger, yeah. I remember in anatomy class in high school, we, were, we had the really high-powered you know, microscopes, and you take a microscope out, and you like bite a fingernail off, and you put it on there, and it looks like this you know, black, dark demon that's coming out of you. Like it, it takes something that, that is just small, and it makes it look almost terrifyingly big. That's not what we do with God. We don't take something that's small and make him look bigger to try to bait and switch people into believing in who he is. With God, we take something that, that for a lot of us is actually very far off and very distant from how could, I, how could a good God let this happen? How could a good God do this? How could a good God take my family away? How could a good God let it come back positive? How could a good God do these things? God is so far off and distant. See, when we magnify God, we do what a telescope does. We make something that is far off seem as big as it really is and that's what he's calling us to do 
to magn- with the key areas of your life, with the way that we spend our time, let me magnify God. Let me spend it on things that will last into eternity. With the way I spend my money, let me give it towards things that will last for eternity, that will make an eternal impact, not on trinkets and seashells and random stupid things that my kids are going to throw away and not even care about two months from now. Let me invest it in things that will last. See, God calls us to, with every aspect of our life, to magnify him so that other people see him for who he truly is. Now, you will magnify something. Now, what the enemy, we talked about the spiritual warfare a lot. What the enemy wants you to do is to walk around with this bad boy. And to see all the things in this holiday, he wants you to make them seem bigger, like worse problems than they really are. He wants to put one of these bad boys in your hand and send you to work. And seeing that little thing that that person said, and you're in your head now, sitting at your cubicle going, well, did that mean that they were like, was that racist? What, uh, uh, are, are they really mad at me? Or are they not mad at me? You get the text message. And you go, oh, what a jerk. And the other person's on their line, and they just forgot to put an exclamation point on. And you're reading the lack of exclamation point, you're magnifying the text. You are a jerk. No, I just forgot to put an exclamation point. A period didn't mean I was angry. A period just mean I didn't hit the right button. Don't magnify something that's not there. Don't make mountains out of mohills. Come on. See, enemy wants to put one of these in your hand and let you go through it life, seeing all the things that you have going on in your life, making them bigger than they are so they seem like worse problems than they are because he knows if he's got one of these in your hands that you will never get to one of these. To where you spend a life with everything you have, every amount of time, every dollar, every emotion, all of it, to make God seem to a world who thinks he is very far off to make him seem like he really is. And my hope in this season is that we would be people of God who magnify him, who experience the joy that can come from knowing that we are in his favor, that we are humbly submitted and the outcome is up to him, that we are surrounding ourselves with faith-filled family, and that we're going to do everything we can to remainder of this, to magnify our holy God. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for opportunity to magnify you, to make you seem to a world who's desperate and confused as you really are. I pray that we would live lives to do that, Pray that we would live lives where we are willing to run after the things you run after. Desperate, lost, lonely, hurting people. Pray today, God, that that somebody, God, would realize that the barrier to their great joy is them humbly surrendering their will, their way, and their plans to you. And asking you to forgive save Jesus that's what you died to do that's what you came to that you were born to do that and you died to do that and you rose again to prove it to us I pray we rest in that reality as we worship you we run to you father we come to you now in these moments revive the joy that can so easily be stolen remind us that we're yours in your name Amen.